Yeah, welcome back to the Nigerian Filmmaker, a podcast for us to talk about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Isha Bako. He's a director, writer, and producer. He won an AMA for his graduation short film, Braids on a Bald Head. He has directed several films, which include Road to Yesterday, Rare Hibiscus Hotel, Fort Republic, and most notably, the 2012 documentary, Foiling Poverty. We talk about the actor-director collaboration, lessons learned from his past projects, and what makes a good film. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Shai. Welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Hi, Sele. How are you? I'm good. Um, can you introduce yourself? I'm Ishai Abako, and I am a filmmaker. Um, write, direct, um, sometimes produce uh, both fiction and documentary. Okay. Can you tell us how your filmmaking journey started? Um, I suppose like with most people, my filmmaking journey started in like drama club. Uh, when I was much younger, but then in university in particular. Um, so my first degree was in management information systems at Covenant University. Yeah. And so uh, towards the end of uh, my course or my, de- my degree program, I was very active in a, in a drama unit. Um, and I, I found that I really enjoyed that because um, I, I would say like my, my two loves are computers and film yeah. and so like towards the end of my, my final year in, in university like I was in a couple of plays um, and I figured that I was pretty good at it and I wanted to or I enjoyed like crafting it so writing it and then and participating I also like reading books a lot so so yeah so that's that's pretty much where it kind of started and then once I finished school um, during my service year, kind of like, as with everybody else, like figuring out, because obviously it's one thing to study whatever course you do in the university, that like you're completely mm-hmm. different thing to make a career out of it. So when I was negotiating and weighing options in terms of, okay, what kind of career would I want to do? Um, yeah, I mean, like film just came to mind and, and film directing in particular. Uh, so I used that whole service year to kind of convince my parents, convince, um, mentors um, around me and convince myself as well that okay yeah. this is actually really what I want to do um, yeah and then I was fortunate enough and I'd say fortunate to uh, go to well started with the London Film Academy for like a four-week program yeah. just to test out the waters to see look if this is this any good like do I have the um, inclination for this and I actually did very well at the end of that program so that's when I went to do a master's degree um, in filmmaking at the London Film School, and yeah, I suppose that the rest is history. Yeah, so how was it um, convincing your family? Um, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm, I'm, I, again, I'll keep on saying I'm very fortunate and also grateful for the fact that I have the kind of family I have, particularly my parents. Um, Obviously, I just needed to make a case and I was able to make a case. I remember I had like this Excel sheet where I organized film schools by continent yeah. and did the pros and cons and like 
because film school is expensive um, for my dad. So I, I think like I presented the case to him, like almost like a presentation that, oh, look, this is it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have the parents that I do and, and um, the family that's actually incredibly, incredibly supportive. And I do not take that for granted at all. Yeah. You know, looking through your credits, I think it's pretty much split in the middle between documentary and film. Um, yeah, yeah. Documentary and fiction, yes. Um, I mean, that said, I haven't yet done like a feature documentary. Like the documentaries I've done have been shorts. I mean, I did like a 60 minute documentary uh, featurette, but then that's, it's still, we're still planning on how to release that. But it's also kind of a very specific or particular kind of project. Yeah. Uh, but I've done three feature films now. Um, it's making me feel very old. Mm -hmm. on one hand but obviously very young especially if you're considering our markets here but uh yeah it, you're right to say that like it it is like i do enjoy both i find myself that if i'm finishing a fiction project i can't wait to start documentary because like fiction sets are exponentially bigger than documentary um teams because yeah. uh, like with the documentary team tops six seven people but with the fiction crew you're looking at between 50 and 100 people yeah. So, um, so oftentimes, like at the end of a, a project, if it's fiction, like I'm like, I just want to go back to a small crew, manageable crew, you know, navigating through. I don't have to wake up, make, I don't have to worry about makeup, costumes, yeah. sets, doing it again and again, doing the multiple takes and then getting coverage. Um, but then on the flip side, too, is like once, because documentary is like a vast wasteland, because yeah. like you're navigating through. Um, and I often say that, like with fiction, you're trying to find the truth within the story because, like, you craft the story and you're trying to navigate how these actors are going to and what the actual truth is that would hit an audience. But with documentary, you're trying to find the story within the truth because yeah. documentary is what is happening in real life. So it's this vast wasteland where you're like interviewing people, you're trying to piece together, you're trying to, like, even when you script it, then you're like, oh, when you write the script, and like, when you are editing it that's when the story is coming together and, and um oftentimes it's, 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 that's where the work is and the hard work but i mean like i think it's um uh to a large extent filmmakers now have to pretty much straddle that and then you like even like in terms of the hats you wear yeah. um oftentimes you find like producer directors or writer directors or dop directors um or directors that are editors as well i think now especially with the kind of tools that we have at our disposal yeah. in crafting and creating a story like the discipline and your um, skill set is broader now yeah. um if you will i think yeah you just kind of um kind of address my next question which is what drives you to documentary and um, to the documentary formats what would you say are the kind of stories that speak to you as a director, like for fiction? Hmm. Um, I suppose that, so the stories that, that, that speak to me for fiction, oftentimes is, it, it begins with like complex characters. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like, sometimes I like like complex characters, like in a simple Role. So I'll, I'll talk about the early films that I did. So before I did Road to Yesterday, which was the first feature, I did uh, Braids on a Bald Head. And Braids on a Bald Head as a short is literally just a day in the life of a hairdresser. Yeah. Um, so in terms of plots, 
it was very simple. Like she wakes up in the morning, she says her prayers, takes a shower, goes to work, comes back, has this encounter with her neighbor that like fully explodes when she like meets her husband. Yeah. Um, but then what I liked about it was all, what drew me to that was like the characters were complex. So her neighbor that she has an experience or an encounter with is a complex character in and of herself. She herself is it was complex. I mean, in hindsight, we could have made her husband a bit more complex than a stereotypical Northern or Arewa man. But um, for what it was, and for that 20 minutes, I think like it was compact and like it, it took what it was. And then for something I wrote to yesterday, there's a similar thing. Like you have a couple going on a road trip. Yeah. Um, and during that road trip, we like have those flashbacks in between different points in times in their lives. Um, and I think that's, for me, that's what it was. It was like, okay, these characters have made these decisions and these decisions have had this like ripple effect and ripple repercussions in their lives. And, and this and this is um, how it plays. I think Fourth Republic was a bit more complex than than what it was. But then at the same, at the heart of it too, where the like central characters, like the EK who was the idealistic uh, political aide and then yeah. the Mabel King who was this gubernatorial aspirant. Um, and they're complex in their own ways. Like his idealism is is being like tested with her own, I suppose, pragmatism, if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I think that's what draws me. Like, I, I think the thing about film being universal and just amazing as a medium um, in terms of creating and in terms of watching and enjoying is that you you get to explore different worlds, you get to explore different storylines, you get to explore different types of people. I think that's kind of where it's at. It's where is this story and and um I suppose like where is your my point of view or your point like as a filmmaker, as a creative, yeah. like if you're gonna create it's like okay, what point of view am I going to like pretty much attack this from or articulate this around? Um, and obviously there are just things that literally will jump at you for documentary and for, particularly for documentary. Because uh, like oftentimes like with film, I mean, and also because of how long the process takes mm. and how expensive it can get, often like we'd ask ourselves, and as you know, in Safe House is that like, why does this need to be a film? Why shouldn't it just be like an article? Because mm. some things are okay as a news article, some things are okay as a poem, some things are okay as a book. Um, but obviously there are elements that can make a story a bit more engaging and evocative. Um, and, and some scenarios, because uh, like with the two documentaries and the major documentaries that we did, Fueling Poverty and Silent Years, Fueling Poverty was about the Occupy Niger protest and yeah. the fuel subsidy scam of 20, excuse me, well, 10, 2010 to 2012, but then culminating in the Occupy Niger protest and the fuel subsidy probe yeah. of 2012. Um, and I mean, like for a situation like that, it's like what is happening in October, 2020 or November, 2020 with the NSAS protest. I mean, if you have like a protest as huge as it was in 2012, where it lasted for about 13 days and literally this was the whole country, like was brought to a standstill and it was like crippled. Um, you have to document that. You have to tell that story as with everybody that's documenting the NSAS protests now. Um, so for something like that, it's, it, 
the story literally jumps at you to a large extent. With Silent Tears, this was also something that's literally happening in my neighborhood where you see like uh, the task force moving around. Um, and it was just like, it was curious to, and, and I think that's part of what being a storyteller, filmmaker is, is like that curiosity. You're curious to, to know what, why, why do we behave this way? Why, why do we do the things we do? And I suppose that curiosity now leads you to now start to envision a story or articulate a story or document and capture the moment because you know that there is such a significance and, and a relevance in that point in time and for that point in time. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where... Okay, mm. so for um, Falling Poverty, you know, the, the situations that kind of surrounded the whole um, documentary was poverty and also um, the false subsidy. Um, we're kind of pretty much at the same point in 2020 with how kind of bad things have gone and, you know, the rising um, cost of petrol. Would, would you say there's a part two of falling poverty in the works? Um, not necessarily, because I think actually things have really, really changed since then. Yeah. Because like, I would say like, at least in the last six years or five, six years, we've not had fuel scarcity in the country, if we've noticed. And the subsidy subsidies have stopped, or at least that's what we've been made to believe, that they've had to ease it off, because obviously it's a bit more complex than than, than it is. Um, now, whether or not the corruption has stopped is, is a different thing, and I, I think that's also part of what we're trying to show with the film. Like, as you mentioned, like, it, there is like endemic poverty, like we've been tagged the poverty capital of the world and all of those kind of things. Yeah. The the ironies that, that the country brings. It doesn't change the fact that like people are suffering and people are starving. Um and people are in dire straits, especially like with the with the pandemic here. I mean like in terms of like fuel prices increasing, like if you're gonna take subsidies off, fuel prices are going to increase. And the thing with subsidies is that while it helps on the surface of it, it helps um, alleviate the pains for the common man. It's not sustainable for a government because mm -hmm. like your debts will keep on increasing if you keep on paying the difference between what the market is saying and what you're actually selling yeah. to the consumer. Um, and it's the same thing that's, going, that's happened and will continue to happen with the power sector as well, um, which is why our next project is also on the power sector because like, it's, it's a bit like the subsidies being, although they don't term it as that, uh, but there are subsidies being paid in the power sector yeah. um, to keep our prices, especially for those for people that have been metered or have prepaid meters, to keep yeah. the prices down. If they take off those subsidies, it's going to be exorbitant, it's going to be really high. Um, and I think that's also part of what needs to be, like, we need to do in terms of, like, raise the purchasing power of the average Nigerian. So yeah. whether it's a um, minimum wage, um, but also activating the real sector of the economy. So what hasn't changed since 2012 to now in the fuel sector is our refineries still do not work. Yeah. And so we are the largest net exporter of oil on the continent. And yet we have no kind of domestic capacity in terms of refined products, yeah. which is in and of itself is an irony. Um, and that's where corruption lies because like, particularly with fueling poverty, what we're trying to show was that, I mean, there was corruption before that 
government or that administration, but at the time that administration came in, in that 2011 to 2012, it was exponential yeah. in terms of like the, the graft and the corruption that was happening then. So yeah, so I mean like, and obviously the NSAS process is a completely different, um, is a completely different agitation. Yeah. Um, still incredibly important, still incredibly relevant. And I suppose like underlying that is still the dissatisfaction and the restlessness with government and governance in the country, yeah. um, which is how it's manifested. Um, and I suppose like it, it, it also like brings up more, more complex questions as well of, of like our current negotiation as a country, um, which, which, which is very difficult. Yeah. Okay, I'm talking about Britain, about it. Um, congrats on the AMA mm. award you won. Um, it also kind of screened at several um, notable festivals. Mm -hmm. How was that experience? Oh, no, I, th I think it was amazing because like, Brit so Britain about head was a short film that we released in 2010, it's 10 years from now, uh, 10 years ago now. Um, but in many ways, I feel it's still my proudest work. Uh, proudest work because it was my graduation film to begin with. So like what I wanted to accomplish with the film, it kind of did. Yeah. Um, it got my distinction for my master's, which was what I really wanted. We recouped all the money we spent on the film and more because yeah. we were able to sell um, the film at that time to Canopus. Uh, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, we did the, the, the very different, I mean, like, I think we did, yeah, well over a dozen really high-profile festivals, like Clement Ferrand in France, the Boston LGBT Festival, we did Chicago, we did Seattle, yeah. um, Cambridge. Um, no, it was fantastic. I think particularly Clement Ferrand, because, like, that was, um, it's, like, the most prestigious short film festival literally in the world, mm -hmm. in France. And we had at the screening we had over three thousand people, at that, like and just for three thousand people to be watching this film in Hausa about this woman in Kaduna, like, and they got it and like appreciated it fully, fully. Like, it's it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still on um, festivals, your second feature, um, Real Hibiscus, which yeah. premiered at That's Chief. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, this is an Oscar qualifying festival. How, what were the stakes for you? Like, how was that? Um, I mean, I think it was because I think prior to that year was when they did the focus. Yeah, it was twenty sixteen that they did the focus. The Lagos City to City, um, Toronto had kind of opened the doors to Niger content mm -hmm. uh, or Niger film, Nigerian films. Um, and we were the only Nigerian film that was playing at TIFF the next year. And I think after that, it was, um, after that, it was um, Lionheart. Yeah. And then yeah, I think Lost Okurushi was, was last year. I don't think any Nigerian films or did this year, but I stand to be correct. I think maybe Aimu Fe yeah. uh, did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, um, for 2017 itself, it was a good, it was a good experience, like, because it, it is one of the biggest festivals in North America um, and in the world. Uh, it's an audience festival. Um, yeah, I mean, like, just seeing, like, the industry on an international scale was a very good, uh, it was a very good experience. Um, and, and it was a very, um, 
insightful experience to kind of look at, okay, this is what it takes to kind of get to this level and kind of more than get to the level is sustaining the level. And I think that's why that's what is important for the industry as a whole. Like we need to have more films playing in festivals like Toronto, playing in festivals like Berlin, like Venice, yeah. um, Cannes, um, because we're still kind of niche. And when I say we, like Nigeria film is still kind of niche in uh, in in world cinema. Nigeria film, Nigerian film, Nollywood is still kind of very niche, yeah. and we still only just cater to ourselves. But we need to transcend that. We need to push beyond that. But I'm very optimistic about that because I feel like that's what what music has done in particular to yeah. see how global our music has become. Yeah, film is next because like the cultural import is is practically the same. It's just that. We, we just need to finesse a lot more and be more um, intentional. Yeah. So um, with, I mean, two of your documentary projects, Henna and um, Silent Years, and then with Rhea Hibiscus Hotel, Fort Republic and Road to Yesterday, they all kind of have um, female leads. Was this a conscious decision or a coincidence? Um, no, it's very, very conscious, like, particularly starting with brains on the bald head. I just find women to be a lot more complex. And especially, like, and I, and I have to be also be very conscious and cautious of saying this. Um, but I feel like there is a lot of complexity there. Um, and especially with the African woman, there's a lot of strength there. There's a lot of vulnerability there. There's a lot of um, conflict. Um, and and I, I just find that as rich ground. And I also feel that, I, I mean, like in many ways, I am a feminist, like, it's like because I believe like there has to be equity um, in, in, in different ways. And in in our society, not in different ways, like there has to be like absolute equity in our society. And, and I think I've been fortunate, man, as the fact that I'm like the only boy with four sisters. Um, and my mom is very strong and just a wonderful woman. So I've had such a pot, like the women in my life have had such a positive impact um, in my work and in my personal life um, in terms of like, just first of all, inspiring me, challenging me, um, nurturing me, uplifting me. Um, a lot of the opportunities I've gotten even in film to begin with, Feeling Poverty was commissioned by Adora Ikenze, who was the then country director for Osiwa. And she did that when I screened Braids at Infusion, which was um, uh, kind of organized, it was a showcase that was organized by Lola Shoning when she used to live in Abuja. Yeah. She's gone on to like set up the Arcade Book Festival and, and the Film Festival, but at the different points, so whether I was working with Genevieve and Chini with Foroti yesterday, I was working with Moabudu for Royal Hibiscus or Mi Yakubu for Fourth Republic, like I've had that very good, that very positive, that very strong um, relationship, professional relationship on the one hand um, with women. And I just find that we do not give them enough credit. Yeah. And if I can be able to do that with the films that I, I, that I make and the characters that are portrayed in those films, then absolutely. Okay. So um, are you a, an actor's director or a technical director? I have to say a bit of both. Um, 
I have to say a bit of both. I think, literally, as a director, you're just a conduit now. You are literally the shepherd. You are the one that's like making actors, and and that's the thing I, I tell younger directors coming up is that. Excuse me. While the cameras are great, while it's good to get like a very nice tracking shot, you know, it's good to get like the angles right and for coverage and the rest. Yeah. You're the only person that is taking care of the actors. You're the only person that's re reassuring the actors because the cinematographer is there trying to make sure that the lighting is good, you know, the, 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 the framing is good. The focus puller is there to make sure that shit is in focus. Um, the costumes are just trying to make sure the costumes look good and the rest. But then when it comes to the performance itself, it is your job as a director to reassure the actors. It is your job as a director to make sure that you're paying attention to, to them. Yeah. Um, um, and you're protecting them as much as possible, as best as possible. And, and so like in that way and in that regard, I would consider myself an actor's director because I'm very, very conscious about that. But the the gift of being able to go to film school. Um, and I remember because like, it's one of my friends and my close collaborators at the time, um, Oliver Aliogena. Because I remember when I was going to film school, he was directing a couple of series here and like we, we, we were talking and then he told me that, look, when you get to film school, do everything else apart from directing. Yeah. Because if you're going to, if you're going to be a director, you're going to be a director. But you need to also understand the terms for each of the, the people. So if I sit down and I'm talking to you and you're the sound recordist. So for whether it is a Tascam recorder you're using, a sound devices recorder you're using, two, three, four channel, the mixer you're using, if it's an analog mixer, a digital mixer. Even though I, I might not know in depth, I do know the words to speak with you in terms of, okay, why would we need to use two sets of mics? Why do we need the boom as well as the labs? Um, what sampling rates you you what's bit depth what sampling rates you you're, you're recording at and then how that's going to do and a similar thing across board with the editors with the directors knowing the lens choices knowing what angles like if I'm shooting low pointing up I know I want that dominant effect if I'm doing the reverse I know I want to make the character feel small or the audience feel small so you need I feel like you need kind of both. Um, and I think both kind of skill sets I've, I've been able to hone and I feel like I continue to hone, yeah. which is important because you want to not only know the tools, because you need the tools to be able to craft the work yeah. um, and for it to be technically sound and pleasing, aesthetically pleasing. But you also need the performance, which is the heart and soul, if you, if you get what I'm saying. So you have like the heart and soul, but then you also have the body of it and both of them have to work. It has to be that symbiotic relationship between the two um so so the question i i want to consider myself as both um i feel like i'm very conscious of the needs of the actors because like sometimes it's very and especially like if you go into that space with them like once i'm giving them notes sometimes i want to kind of sit down and sit with them and just like talk to them and like you have all the lights on you you have everybody looking at you you know makeup and hair is looking to make sure oh, is it saying costume is looking at the pin that the pin that the back is it going to hold you know but it's the director that's looking at the performance it's the director that's looking at the mise-en-scene like how is this navigating and how does this fit into the bigger hole yeah. so that assurance to the actor is very very important um and I'm, I'm very conscious about that but i also know that because they're also in a creative space oftentimes like you might have like a dp wanting to push a bit further than 
they should or the production mm. designer. But they get more respect for you as a director when they know that you're speaking their language. You get they know that you know the crafts. I know the difference between a twenty four mil lens and a thirty five. Mm. Um and all the way down. Yeah. I mean your first feature, you worked with an aid list actress on Gen Z. How was that? Um did you feel intimidated at all? Did I feel intimidated? <laughs> no, no, I didn't feel intimidated. Um, I think it was just it was a great it was a great project to work on, and it was there was mutual respect, there was mutual understanding. It, it was a story that she told me, um, and I think both myself and Emil, um, my close collaborator as well, like in terms of writing, um, were able to kind of capture what she she had in her head and, and in her mind. And I think it was trust. Again, I, I think it was just trust and mutual respect. Yeah. She was able to trust me that I was going to, and, and this again is part of being able to like be your, the quarterback for your actor, you know, having your, the actor's back is saying, okay, look, um, I got you. Yeah. Um, and so like for, for that, like for that particular project, it was, it was cool. Like she was, um, she was very gracious. Um, and it was it was it was just a, a good project to be on. Like, and there was no kind of intimidation in any in any yeah. sort of way. And yeah. Again, yeah. Um, the thing is, we work in an industry where um people are used to doing things a certain way, and I guess with a larger percentage of films that me, there isn't that kind of um nuanced kind of actor director collaboration. So with a young director there's that possibility of, you know, maybe getting big actors and then the actors, um, in a way, trying to hijack um, that whole process. How would you kind of best advise young directors to handle that? So I think it's not a, um, to be honest, like, it's not just a Nigerian thing, Nigerian industry thing. I think it's the same thing you, you would face in the UK. It's the same thing you would face in the States, even worse if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think, again, it's the mutual respect and mutual understanding. Um, at the heart of it, once you're able to communicate that, look, you are here for the job, and this job is much bigger, the work is much bigger than any individual person and any individual ego. I think that cuts a lot of bullshit yeah. early on. I think the, the reason why a lot of times, like, more experienced people would run roughshod on, on is when the person is either not one articulate enough knowledgeable enough or respectful enough mm -hmm. um, because if you have those three if your knowledge if you know your shit if you are able to articulate and communicate it properly and you respect yourself and the person that you're working with there should be no reason why you should be especially if you're in the role as a creative lead um, and you see a lot of young directors, both male and female, like that have worked with a, a, a myriad of people. So whether it's Kenneth Yang, Kunia Kimolaya, um, even to a large extent, um, Kemi Adetiba, um, Emma Edosio, uh, A.K. Mason now. And um, yeah, I mean, like, if you, you can look at the gamut of like young filmmakers and the different people that they worked with and even with the actors, the actors that will tell you, yes, it was good working with this person. And again, I think for me, I, I, I boil it down to those three things, like knowledge, 
be knowledgeable of your shit, like be articulate and know how to communicate. Okay, this is the vision I have. This is how I want to approach it and be respectful, be decorous. Anybody, like, I think respect begets respect. Um, I wouldn't go and be insulting an actor on set. Mm -hmm. I don't expect an actor to insult me on set. And that's why, like, with all our set, my sets in particular, like, there is that mutual respect. Like, everybody knows their role and everybody's doing their job. And if you're going to be, like, professional, especially with the actors that are professional, like, they know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, um, what makes a good film to you? Hmm. I think a good film is, is one that, that that hits you in certain ways where you can't necessarily explain. It's, it's something that you've seen, either you've seen before, but you're seeing it in a new way, or you've not seen before, if you get. And I think that's, that's, those are the elements. Like The elements for me is like having like a character that's just, or a character and a story world that's very engaging and enriching. If you get what I'm saying, like I will give like two quick examples. There's one I forget the name of the documentary, but it's an Al Jazeera. I like watching Al Jazeera a lot because they always have like some dope ass documentaries. But it's an Al Jazeera documentary about this painter in China who does secondhand knockoffs of Van Gogh paintings, yeah. and he'd been doing it for like 20, 30 years. And the documentary came to the point where he was going to the Van Gogh Museum, because the Van Gogh Museum in in the Netherlands, like. Dish, there's like a shop opposite it that sells all the paintings that you know and he's the one that does like the original like yeah. painting and he has like masterful skill and it was the whole documentary was just exploring him becoming his own like because he'd been doing copies over like his whole career was doing copies yeah. and then when he came like he appreciates the art he appreciates the artist but then when it now came to him say you know like the filmmakers posited to him that and his friends i suppose like you're good at your arts like can you do your own work and i found out that just the exploration of the human condition with that documentary was very engaging and very enlightening and the character himself was very engaging and very enlightening now you see it across board in any documentary whether it's like the docu netflix docuseries making a murderer or tiger king mm -hmm. you have very engaging characters and a very like even if it's a weird and wacky world, the world has its own set of rules, so it's a believable story world. Yeah. Um, another example I'd give is Parasite, which is the Oscar-winning film from South Korea. It's something that you've seen before, but in a very different way. It's a very different way that they approached class struggle. Yeah. It's a very different way they approached um, kind of social dynamics um, within the kind of modern era. Um, and it's same in Seoul as it would be in Abuja, as it would be in Nairobi, as it would be maybe in Karachi in Pakistan. So, so yeah, I mean, like what makes a good film for me, I think it's just like when that's, um, when the characters are so engaging and so, so real and that it almost becomes tangible and in a very believable story world, um, yeah, you, you just have to appreciate it. And obviously, like, when the, the storyteller itself, so the creator, um, is able to navigate through this and carry along in a very simple and, and, and exciting way. So it's not, I'm not trying to confuse you, I'm not trying to gimmick, do a gimmick on, on you or stuff like that. That's, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Um, for your first feature, you decided to go with like a road trip film. Um, why go with that kind of complex um, concept? You know, a moving set, the car on the highway, a lot of things out of your control. What? Um, I think it was just interesting to me. Yeah. I, I, I think at the heart of it, it was just interesting. Um, I think I think like. With most filmmakers and, and most good filmmakers, like what what interests you and excites you on the project is obviously like the challenge that it brings. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's what it was like the 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 the, the allegory of, of of what that road trip meant and like the flashbacks and all that. That was just it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, with um, Fort Republic, um, the I think the characterization was really good and. You got actors that um, kind of delivered. I'm sure a lot, lot of the work was done, you know, with the casting. Um, do you have like some tips and tricks you've mastered over the years with, when it comes to kind of auditioning actors for roles? Mm. I think, and it's interesting that you use Fourth Republic as an example because I feel like, in many ways, you could have done better with the. With the, you could have done better with the casting for that, um, but like I think like as with filmmakers, you often hear and, and it's absolutely true. Like the right casting is fifty percent of the job done. Yeah. Um, I think first of all, you want to make sure that the person is right for the role, and by right for the role, you want to make sure like either the person is reading for the role, the, the person looks specific or sound specific and the person is also like dedicated and committed to bringing their all for the role. Yeah. I think it's very important to also have a good rapport with the person outside of what the um, what the like the character, what's what is what the script demands. Yeah. Because it's there that you're able to navigate the nuance. And it's the nuance that oftentimes it's is the is the differentiating factor. Now nuance is even like in the things that are not said. It's what is not in dialogue. You guess like a, a classic example would maybe Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards and the scene where he's drinking milk and he's talking about like why he's he's good at catching Jews. Um yeah, I mean like I, I think that nuance is there and like how you navigate that, like or how you have build that rapport with the person. And and I think trust is obviously also a very big part of it like yeah. you need to be able to trust your actor and your actor needs to be able to trust you obviously like i'm saying all of this now and, and it's it's a nice to have because especially with filming filming here and filmmaking here in nigeria that's a bit tougher because you have actors that like you have films that are like rolling 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 you have actors that are moving from set to set to set to set and you need to market your films and obviously you need to make a living and I'm not going to tell anybody not to make the living that they know how to make a living. But again, as I feel like having a great rapport with the person is very, very important. And the mutual respect again. And making sure that the person has talent. That yeah. also helps. Okay. Um, I'm guessing like um, Fourth Republic was probably like the biggest thing of me. Yes. How was the whole experience of... Independently, yes. yes. How was the whole experience of it coming together? Man, it was tough. 
It was tough. It was tough. It was a tough film to make. It was a tough film to make for a particular set of reasons. Um, one was the the excuse me the theme. So it was legal strip political drama. It was more of a legal drama than political yeah. drama. Although it was like uh, the whole political scene, and I suppose like we underestimated many things. Um, it's the biggest film in terms of legal scope, and like the fact that I was also producing with. Um, with Ben PV, who's also a long-time collaborator, and I think like we learned a lot of lessons from it because we underestimated a lot of things in in the conceptualization of it. Um, but the the thing about it, and, and the thing with most filmmaking, is that you're there to solve problems yeah. because the problems will just keep coming. Um, and so, because we had that experience from all of the different projects we'd worked independently and together from, we were able to like bring that experience to kind of navigate through that. Yeah. It didn't mean it wasn't tough, like it was very hard roads for some of the times. Um, but ultimately, again, like knowing that, okay, we're doing something that was much bigger than any of us, yeah. um, it helped. It helped navigate in that. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's the, both the producer and the director's job. Yeah. to kind of posit the future and like encourage everybody working on it that look this is the future done this is what we want to achieve and just going like balls deep like you know fully fully just making sure that you get it done yeah. uh so yeah it was a tough experience but hugely rewarding hugely hugely rewarding yeah. um on many ways what were some of these challenges i mean one of our primary challenge was and again, hindsight, I don't know why we did it that way, was we didn't have enough prep time, pre-production. And pre-production is very, very important. Um, arts direction was a bit of a problem because we didn't get the, the, the person that we needed at that point in time. Um, and so it was a bit of a challenge navigating that and then locations. But again, all of these problems were part, was if you had like a proper pre-production timeline and time frame and that you could schedule and you can plan properly yeah. you literally would mitigate for all of these things because locations which were, became a, a big problem for us that kind of affected our schedule um yeah so like we, to a large extent we'd be underprepared um in our execution which which was unfortunate but again like i think like it's lessons learned yeah. it's lessons learned okay um you took Port Republic on the campus tour. Mm -hmm. What were you hoping to achieve with the campus tour? Um, so when we did the campus, we did the campus tour towards the fourth quarter of 2019. Uh, we did about seven or eight schools, universities, minus other community screenings that we did. Yeah. Um, essentially, it was just to create dialogue, to foster dialogue around the film and the themes of the film. So women's involvement in politics, um, violence in, in and fraud with elections and like just the necessity of a better political class and better governance class. Um, yeah, that's essentially what we wanted to accomplish and I think very largely and very broadly we did accomplish all of that. Yeah. And um, so how, how important are films like this to the political discourse and uh, nation building? Do you think we should use this as a tool or there are other ways to achieve Results. I think there has to be multiple ways. I think films like Fourth Republic are important in um, 
I suppose like creating and articulating dialogue around some of the issues, but I think it has to be a multiple, multi-layered approach. Um, um, I think, I think educating young people, I even not just young people, just educating Nigerians has to come from different ways. We know we don't read a lot, but then there's still information that can literally only be accessed in a book. Yeah. Um, when we do a film, we also want to create something that like you can use as a case study and as an example to say, oh, look, this is what, because it's, it's a bit more of an engaging format mm. and expressive. And it's obviously a format that we love as a country, that people love film. So it, are more political things like that important? Absolutely. But then I also feel like there needs to be a responsibility on the filmmaker's part of making sure that even if you're trying to make your film prescriptive, that oh, this is how it should be, it's not didactic. It's not like bludgeoning you in the head that, oh, you know, this is bad because studies have shown, different research has shown that that just doesn't work. Um, so I suppose the honest is on the filmmakers in particular to kind of create something, excuse me, <clears throat> to kind of create something that's a lot more nuanced, you know, a lot more nuanced and, and, and a bit more, um, a bit better than surface. Yeah. Because like, if you're going to tackle some very serious issues like our political system and that, like, it needs to be more than surface. And you need to like dig deep a bit more. And like, I suppose like, it's also good to understand you get like understand what it is that you're trying to see and understand the historical context of it, the political and social context of it, yeah. um, and be responsible for that. Okay. Yeah, how can people keep up with your work? Um, so I'm, I'm terrible on social media, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm going to be done again. Um, Ishaya Bako on Instagram, underscore Ishaya Bako on Twitter. Um, yeah. I will, um, we're, we've been in development since lockdown on a couple of different projects. So come the new year, 2021 and 2022, there's going to be like a lot of work that we're doing and, and it's, it's exciting shit. Like it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Can't wait to see. All right. All right. Thanks, Ishaya, for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Sela. It's my pleasure. We have come to the end of this episode. Please remember to leave a rating and a review. You can send in your questions and feedback on social media. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Selegraph Film. And the podcast also on Instagram and Twitter at the Niger Film Pod. See you on next episode. Have a good one.